Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, If you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello, babies. Welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. You know, it's going to be a good episode when Kate opens it with, hey, babies. Well, you know, I think we got either a text message or someone DM me and was like, call us babies more often. It feels really good. And I was like, oh, and this just popped back into my brain uh, as we were recording. And also, you know, Lucy just rolled into the office and helped herself to the chair next to me. So she's sitting here. Oh, Lucy. Yeah. So it's we've got we've calling everybody babies and we've got a dog in the room. So it feels good. Oh. Oh, is in my office. Is he really? Yeah, he just took up residence on my couch. Like <laughs> recently, an hour and a half ago. <laughs> they must know. Do you think these dogs are like? Uh, we heard that um, the siren call of the "Welcome to Forever" thirty-five. What's funny is I was on the Peloton 
bike and he like I was get I was like getting ready to get on the bike and he like came over and was like trying to get around. I have this like poof that I sometimes like put my legs up on when I sit on the couch and he was like trying to maneuver around the poof and I was like, "Okay, Bo, here you go." And then he got up on the couch. He was like all comfy cozy. And then Matt came home like half an hour into the ride. Bo got up, like went to see what was going on. And then just like trotted back, mm-hmm, got back mm-hmm. up on the couch. <laughs> He's like, "I'm I'm here. I'm here to work. I want to listen to you record podcasts." Exactly. All day long. Well, uh we kind of forgot to tell everybody everything else, but you oh, know, we did, yes. yeah, we're we're not experts. We're two friends who like to talk a lot about serums is the, you know, the gist of this show. It's true. And you can visit our website, which is forever35podcast.com. We put links to everything we mention on the show up on the website. We're also trying a new experiment. Let us know what you think with transcripts of the podcast. Hell yeah. Thumbs up, thumbs down. I mean, do people care? I mean, it definitely makes it more accessible. Totally. Um, So I'm just curious, like, what do people think? Let us know in the comments. Let us know. Um, you can <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at Forever 35 Pod, on Instagram at Forever 35 Podcast, and join the Forever 35 Facebook group. The password over there is Serums. And you can also sign up for our newsletter at Forever35Podcast.com slash newsletter. That comes out about twice a month. It's coming out tomorrow. Oh, snap. Okay, we'll get on that then, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you would like to reach us, uh, you can send us a voicemail or a text message at 781-591-0390. And our email is forever35podcast at gmail.com. Indeed. Kate. Yes, Dor. I have some news. Share it loud, share it proud. We don't have COVID. Great news. Best news of the week. Best news of the week. I'm so happy because you had <sighs> quite an exposure. Yeah, we did. We had an outdoor play date with two other toddlers, which, you know, in theory should be safe. But I sort of just like forgot. I don't know. I like <laughs> one of the other moms brought bagels and one of the moms brought croissants. And like we were all just sitting there eating. And like at one point, Henry like picked up a piece of bagel that one of the other kids had been eating and just like <laughs> ate it. And I was like, yeah, you can finish that. Like, I just was sort of like, la di da. We fell into normalcy. Yeah. I was like, oh, that kid got COVID. <laughs> so I think normally I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been that stressed about an outdoor play date with an asymptomatic or I guess pre-symptomatic child. Because like they, you know, they're two and a half, so they don't really yeah. play together. Like they were kind of, they weren't like on top of each other at all. But the food thing, I was like, oh, God damn it. So that really sent me spiraling. And then, you know, we had to isolate Henry for five days post exposure, get him a PCR on day five, watch him for symptoms. And it was just like, oh, gosh, you know, so no child care. It was just so in, d- in addition, no child care. It's just like that added stress of like, does he or doesn't he? Yeah. Do I have yeah. COVID? Like, yeah, you know? <laughs> especially because it's um, with Omicron, it's like kind of 
coming in so late, like people are symptomatic, but still testing negative. And well, it's just you a know, bit of a I've journey. I've heard that that is true for vaccinated people. Oh, see, that okay, that's where I exist. That there's something about how Omicron like interacts with the vaccines that, and look, I am not a doctor. I've, I'm literally reading like Twitter threads about this, but anecdotally, I've also heard Many, many people who have gotten Omicron who have had symptoms for two to three days before it shows up on a positive test. Same. Whereas same. this child who had it tested positive on a rapid when he still did not have symptoms. Wow. So I just thought that was interesting. Anyway, I was like, okay, if we develop any symptoms, I'm just going to assume that we have it, even if we're testing negative. But we never got symptoms. And I was just like, wow. Dullet fucking dodged there. Like, oh man. Yeah, bullet dodged. For now. I mean, not to be exactly not to be pessimistic, but you and I were just Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about how like how how have we I mean your husband had it, my daughter had it, so it's been in our homes, but like how have we not all gotten COVID at this point is you know a fluke. Totally. I read totally. someone like shared a tweet that was like, I, f- I haven't gotten COVID. It's 2022. And I feel like I'm playing dodgeball. And like my line of defense is very thin. Yeah. Yep. Yep. When, when yes. Eleanor and I were, um, Eleanor was sick and I thought she had COVID and we were in line to get a PCR for her. And we were behind this like group of teen girls who go to our local high school and it was fascinating. Like their whole conversation was just like who was exposed and who's out and who won't get vaccinated and they're vaccinated. And like, it was fascinating. And it like made me kind of sad because I was like, Oh man, these teen girls, like this they should be talking about like teen girl stuff, you know, like living yeah. their best teen girl life. But yeah. then I also was like very fond of them and how like up and aware they were. So Aww. I know those teen girls didn't know that a mom, two people behind them was in my <laughs> listen, eavesdropping and feeling all sorts of ways about their conversation well and i mean you know you talk about like what kids do and don't kind of understand it's like you know henry is not even three and like knows what a covid test is has taken many of them he used to kind of be okay taking them and now he is just not about them and the last PCR we had to do was just not about it. And like, that's also just really hard to have to like subject your child to, um, and explain to him, like, you're not going to school and your nanny's not coming because your friend ended up having COVID and we have to wait and see if you're getting sick. Like, it's just like, (laughs) huh? (laughs) You know? So that's also like, I don't know, just the way we live now, I guess. Yeah, I was thinking like, my kids will remember this. And they this is, did I share this sadness? I think I did. (laughs) That we could talk about something less sad. But my daughter and two of her friends had like a play date where they were like making movies. They were like recording themselves performing in Kanto and like dressing up and doing this whole spiel. And my the mom was sending me photos of them and they were just like being kids, you know, like just being kids. And I was like, they haven't really had time to do that with their friends for two years. And it just, again, 
This made me so sad. And then as someone pointed out, like, but also I'm so grateful that they can't even do that. Like, yes, great. So, you know, it's just this bittersweet kind of feeling of like, this is, this is going to fully impact their lives in ways I'm, I'm not clear on. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe it'll just be like a weird chunk of time that they just remember and like are fine, you know, who knows? But it's just, totally. it's strange that it's even, it's even a thing. Well, Dory, on a completely non-COVID related topic. Yes. I uh, met with the nutritionist that I had previously worked with um, in kind of establishing an intuitive eating practice. Mm-hmm. And I'm listening. I did. I, I, if you may recall, this is all documented on past episodes of this podcast, but I, um, worked through basically the entire intuitive eating workbook program and it was really helpful and it really kind of changed the course of how I, you know, my relationship to food and my body. It was great. But anyway, got my blood test results back a few weeks ago, got some stuff I needed to look at. So I met with her, she reviewed my blood work and we like went in depth on everything. And it was really helpful. It was really helpful having her decipher my blood tests as opposed yeah. to um, my primary care physician. Yeah, it was interesting. Like what she was able to really kind of get into the weeds, and she, I have a, I have a, an iron, like a certain iron thing that's going on too, and that can be connected to hormones. Like she was just really, um, very helpful and kind of like one being like, you don't need to become a vegan, and two, <laughs> um, you know, just helping me figure out a really like, um easy approach to making some small adjustments in um, what I'm eating and, and also like additions to what I'm eating, not just like eliminating the butter. Yeah. Now that being said, the butter does need to um, take, go on hiatus for a bit. So yeah. So I'm going to do a little bit of like a dairy hiatus. Okay. A full dairy hiatus. Man, I'm not like, I don't, I don't plan on doing being uh, super restrictive because that doesn't work well with my, um, brain yeah but um cutting back and finding alternatives and then um also just you know red meat trying to not eat as much i'm not like i was eating a ton but like you know just be thoughtful with it and focus more on you know the fishes and the beans and the white meats yeah yeah um and also some supplements some supplement stories so okay yeah yeah so i feel good about that i feel good about it um it's also just fun telling people how much butter i've been eating (laughs) truly uh (laughs) truly a humbling experience Uh, every time to just formally announce that i eat butter as a snack yeah i mean we're already hearing from listeners about it (laughs) Yeah, someone was like, I never knew other people ate plain butter besides me. <laughs> and I was like, I've been here the whole time. Well, you've been have, waiting for you. You have talked about it a bit on yes. this podcast, but maybe yes. people didn't quite understand the extent. I mean, you didn't. You didn't know. I did not. I did not. And you the know, only people who really like probably know are my family members because they open the butter and see teeth marks in the butter because sometimes I will just butter? take a, I just bite it. <laughs> Like it's a candy bar. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like it's a hunk of chocolate. <laughs> butter is the perfect salted butter oh, is the perfect God. salty sweet treat. I mean, it really is. It's so delicious. Um, 
I also, Dory, just wanted to give a shout out to a lipstick because. Okay. All right. I feel transformed by this freaking lipstick. Now, the thing with lipstick is it's not going to be for everyone because truly, you know, everybody has different colors they like and colors that they think works with their skin tone. Indeed. But this lipstick has changed my freaking life. NARS sent me a bunch of lipsticks and, um, this one I just like randomly had and threw on one day and now I'm wearing it every day. That's it now. I'm a lipstick. I'm a I lipstick it. woman. It's what you were you wearing didn't... yesterday, right? Yeah. You complimented me on it. Was it was yesterday? Like, the day before, two days ago. No, yeah. it was yesterday. I had it on in a Zoom Oh, that's yesterday. right. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. Yep. And... It's just truly like the most, my most favorite color of any lipstick I've ever tried. I mean, I'm going to try to keep exploring this world of orangey reds, but I don't know. It just makes me pop. It makes me pop. Like I can only, I can just wear that and I look put together in a way, like I, no other makeup or anything. And I just, uh, I look, I'm going to say it. I look good. You do. You look look good. You look great. I look good so uh, i just have to give a shout out to heat wave by nars great it's so freaking great it's uh, a 26 dollars it's a matte bright orange red you can find it on their website or wherever you purchase makeup and it is their uh, lipstick formula and it stays on for a while i find it really lasts for a while amazing all you need is one great lipstick to just that pull is, it all together. That is really, really true. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's it. That's all you need. Yeah. Do you have one right now that you love? I know you had I know you had the story of the $48 Tom Ford lipstick. Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel like it. No, I think it was like $52. <laughs> um, Such a great story. I mean, I just like the pandemic has just like taken all... <laughs> like desire for me mm-hmm. to wear any makeup so i haven't really been playing around with lipsticks but now that i know my colors mm, maybe God, I everything's can changed go back and try to find a new fun lipstick like you because i feel like this is really bringing you a lot of joy i it it you know what? I've been making these videos for my book promotion. And so I want to look like kind of put together for the video. Like I want to give people a good version of me. Right. Sure. But all I need is this lipstick and I keep it by my computer. And I haven't worn it like out on the town. And obviously I'm always in a mask anyway. So what would be the point? But I think when this variant dies down and I start, um, you know, partying again, going out on the party circuit, you know me. Oh, I do. Always be partying. <laughs> always be partying. <laughs> the Kate Spencer motto, always be partying. Uh, no, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to kind of give it a whirl, like in the going out world someday, if that ever comes back around. I mean, TBD. <sighs> it would be fun just to go out to dinner, period. And like, I know we can do that now, but going out to dinner without thinking about pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, without having it to be like, oh, here we go. Let's take our masks off now. Yeah, totally. QR code and show our vaccine cards. Mm. Well, Dory. (sighs) Yes, Kate. Someday. Someday we will get there. Right? Yes, I hope so. Dory, shall we introduce our guest on today's episode? I would love to do that. Today we're talking to Abigail Hang Wen. 
She's amazing. Let's just first like say this. She's amazing. She talked to us from at 6.30 in the morning. She's in Taiwan right now. Yeah. <laughs> so it was 6.30 her time while we were talking to her. And look, she didn't miss a beat. No, she really You were interviewing didn't. me at 6.30 in the morning. It would be oh, rough man, around yeah. the edges. Abigail is the New York Times bestselling author of Love Boat Taipei, which is currently being turned into a movie, which is why she was in Taiwan. She's a producer on the film. And uh, she's also the author of its highly anticipated sequel, Love Boat Reunion, which just came out yesterday. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Abigail was born in West Virginia to a family of immigrants. Her mother is from the Philippines and her father is from Indonesia and her grandparents emigrated to those countries from China. Abigail grew up in Ohio and graduated from Harvard University and Columbia Law School. And as a young adult, she attended the Love Boat program in Taipei that inspired her first novel. She also worked in D.C. for the Senate as a law clerk for a federal judge and in Silicon Valley in venture capital and artificial intelligence. But that's not all. She also earned her Master of Fine Arts in Writing from Vermont College of Fine Arts. And in her spare time, she enjoys long walks with her husband and two boys and hanging out with her friends and over 100 family members in the Bay Area. That's amazing. I wish I had 100 family members, period. But I wish they also all lived near me. I know. It sounds amazing. Slightly overwhelming, but like mostly amazing. What a fun, like any party, you have yeah. like a guaranteed good time it just sounds amazing. I miss my extended family. But there are definitely not a hundred of us. No, same. Anyway, we really enjoyed our conversation with Abigail. And we got some fun makeup and skincare tips, too. So We did. Yeah. Yep, yep. yep. So look out. Those are coming for you. All right. <laughs> well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll be talking to Abigail. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings. There's nights out. It's vacations. I mean, it, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Super Power Short. The Super Power Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that my, thing every day. I do too. Uh, it's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me, let me just tell you why. 
Yeah, get or, into okay, it. Okay, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say like, I, I, I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh God, like get this off of me. No, thank you. Once you you, once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see how also, it could like, be. Yes. Also like summer sweat under those underwires. It's like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the US and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So, this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm I hearing mean, those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be Redefining feminism with glorious dynam. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect 
white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Well, our guest today is Abigail Hingwen. Abigail, welcome to Forever 35. We are so excited to talk to you because you have, you have literally done almost too many things in your life. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited to speak with you. So, uh, I, we, I want to start by asking about a self-care practice and, and then we're going to get to hopefully talk about all sorts of things from AI to writing romance to your many interesting career paths. But, um, you know, we always start by asking guests for a self-care practice that they have in their own life that they might be willing to share with our listeners. And it can really be anything that brings you comfort and joy on a, on a regular daily basis. Yeah, so I loved that you allowed me to show up for the podcast um, anyway I am. So I think you said something about, um, you know, I can come as I am or I can come dressed to go out. And I, you know, it's 6.30 a.m. in Taiwan and I decided, you know, I'm not going to wear makeup. And I love being able to take a break like that because I've been um, here. I'm sure we'll talk more, but I've been on set in Taiwan for the past three months filming and I've been on every single day wearing makeup every single day. And now I'm on a break with my family. We're doing a tour on the island and I haven't worn makeup in about four days and my skin is so happy. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to take those breaks when I can. Are you, you are a regular makeup wearer, like an everyday makeup person? I normally am not when I'm just at home, like doing my daily thing. Um, I wear makeup to go out, but because I've been in Taiwan filming, I've been like lots of makeup every day. And let's clarify, you are in Taiwan filming because you are a producer on the movie adaptation of your book. That's right, of the book Taipei. That's amazing. I mean, tell us everything. Let's circle back. Let's circle back. <laughs> yeah. You're very casual about it, but like, this is a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's been pretty surreal, for sure. Yeah. Where even to begin? So you, well, okay. Let's start. By, by, I guess maybe kind of starting about, oh, sorry, I'm all over the place. Let's start just kind of discussing your many career trajectories because 
you have such an interesting background. And I actually think that's why it's so exciting that you are on the set of your book's movie, um, because you haven't been writing uh, books your entire life, or you haven't been publishing books your entire life, let's say. You've been doing a million other interesting things. Um, you've worked in AI. You have a law degree. You also have an MFA in writing. So could you kind of... I know it's a lot to try to say in a few minutes on a podcast, but kind of give us the start of what your professional career has been and how you have ended up where you are on a movie set. Yeah, so I I started off um, going, I was studying government and international relations at Harvard, and I went on to law school. In between, I did a stint in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill. So I worked for two years um, on the House of Representatives and on the Senate Judiciary Committee. And I thought that was my path. That was law, government, politics. I had done thesis research in China on um, a variety of topics, actually, like human rights, intellectual property. Um, and yeah, I don't even remember the third prong anymore, but it, I think it had to do with, with commerce. Um, but I think over time, I started to realize, you know, the same themes that I was pursuing around uh, social justice questions, um, around poverty and poverty alleviation and these other policy questions, I could answer them really in any industry. You didn't have to be in government to do that. And it kind of came to a head for me because my husband wanted us to move to California. My husband's at Google and, you know, he, Silicon Valley is really his town. Um, he was, he's a techie. So in Washington, DC, he was like the nerdy guy coming to parties, like geeking out over cool gadgets. And I was in law making the product. Um, and so in Silicon Valley, it was reversed. Um, and so, you know, I think I kind of came to terms with that, like, oh, I don't have to be in law and government to fulfill these same um, issues that I cared about. And so, you know, I, I started practicing law here in venture law and it was fun. I was working with startup companies um, and I thought I kind of had to give up that other side of myself, but still find ways to implement the same the same kind of thesis in my life. Um, the same time I was writing novels. And I found like, really, I, I think of myself as just kind of living out that same thesis in every space that I've touched. So while I was in the corporation, I thought, you know, I, I did, I worked on things like, um, we looked at a, a woman's fund for venture capital, because we realized that women were being underfunded, they tended to have to prove themselves with harder numbers. Um, it was hard for new teams, especially to gain the trust of investors. And, you know, we kind of looked at reasons why that was happening. And so that's kind of been a theme again, throughout um, everything I took on. And then in artificial intelligence, it was similar, I would speak about ethics around AI and the ways that the technology was being built that could potentially be exclusive, excluding minority groups that weren't represented in the data. And you know, we saw this with some of the iconic headlines, like um, there was a headline where an early algorithm for human resources was not correlating women with leadership roles. And so then, you know, fast forward, <laughs> This whole time, I'm also writing on the side. I wrote five novels on the way to Lobo Taipei. And Lobo Taipei was the one that, that finally came out into the world. And I think the themes are consistent with the rest of my life. It's a girl going to Asia. It's about identity, trying to understand her identity between Eastern and Western cultures. It's about dance, which I love, and choosing the traditional path versus um, the path that her heart is calling her towards, which is which is dance versus medicine. So... I would say, yeah, it's, it may seem on the outside to be disparate things, but for me, it has always felt like internally consistent. And so now we come to my last book, which is um, about to come out, Love But Reunion. And this one, again, is 
integrating various aspects of my life. It's about a girl, Sophie Ha, who's now trying to marry her interests in artificial intelligence with her very kind of girly personality. So I'm excited to have that drop into the world on January 25th. Yeah, I think this is coming out the day after your book comes out. Oh, amazing. So people will be able to to get it. Um, Well, you, you you know, you mentioned AI a few times. um, And I would love if you could give us just kind of a a general overview of what do we mean when we talk about AI Mm. and what are the kind of like practical applications of AI in people's lives that that like maybe we don't know about Um, because I admit to have a having a pretty like fuzzy conception of what AI can actually do. Yeah, I have. I feel like everything I understand about it is like from science fiction movies from the 90s. Yeah, so I think you probably are experiencing AI all the time. It's in your cell phones. It's like in Google Maps. And, you know, it, it's a way of, of computers processing a lot of information um, and, and drawing patterns from that information. And what I think of it is it's like AI is making our lives easier and better. Um, it's, I know there's a lot of science fiction out there and some of that actually is not, is, is actually inspiring, um, for the science field. Like I remember reading Isaac Asimov's books, um, when I was younger and there are devices on there that are actually iPhones, but he wow. wrote this, you know, many, many years mm. before. So, so what you read in science fiction is not actually necessarily that far from, um, what's going on in the field because the two, I think, inform each other. But, um, I would say, you know, in terms of, AI, that's human level intelligence that we, that there's, you know, fear around taking over the world that we're nowhere near that. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Good. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought it was interesting that you mentioned um, racist bias within AI, because I, I also feel like when it comes to kind of understanding it, that's not something that, you know, we're necessarily familiar with. Could you dig into that a little bit more? Yeah, so so the the area of artificial intelligence now that's you know quite um, there's been a lot of research devoted is in uh, machine learning and deep learning, and that is um, again looking through large amounts of data and being able to build algorithms that make predictions based on that historical data. And so you know, in the example I gave about human resources algorithm, um, you know, I don't you know I don't know all the in, in, inner workings of that particular one, but the idea would be like let's look at let's build a machine that can take a look at all our resumes. Um, and just mm. surface the good ones. Like, so we don't have to bother reading all of them ourselves. Um, which, you know, I think is, is a completely legitimate, um, need because we do need a way to just quickly move through millions of pa- papers so that we can find the best talent for our organizations, the best fit, right? And so you build an algorithm that ideally would, um, find the best candidates for the jobs that you're looking for. But the problem with using historical data is that as it turns out, it reflects historical biases. So if you're, you know, and let me, and let me give a real world example to describe historical bias. Uh, when I was clerking for Judge Rogers on the DC circuit, she was serving on, um, the hiring committee for Harvard Law School. And this, you know, many years ago, one of the questions that came up was like, well, we want all of our candidates to have had Supreme Court clerkships. And a lot of these women, unfortunately, have not had Supreme Court clerkships. And the judge, you know, this is the reason why you need diverse people on, um, these leadership decision making panels. She's like, well, they can't get the Supreme Court clerkships because they're not being hired as Supreme Court mm-hmm. clerks. And so that's an example of systemic bias that's perpetuated. So a require where there's bias in one system that's being used as 
um, criteria for another system. And then the, so the second system is going to have less of those qualified candidates. And so the same thing was happening with these algorithms, except on a much larger scale. And unless you have people who can identify, hey, this algorithm isn't, this facial recognition algorithm isn't working on darker skin, right? Like, unless you have people can actually point it out, um, sometimes it's hard for the people building it to, to see that. But I think there has actually been a lot of work in ethics and artificial intelligence that I'm very encouraged by. Um, Partnership on AI is doing great work in the space, especially. And I love it that so many people are thinking about it and are more cognizant of it. I love that you really can see the connection in your passions and your career and the work that you do. I thought it, you you explained that in such a really powerful way. And I find it especially moving because we often get a lot of listener questions about making changes in one's career, like very big changes, especially, you know, in your 40s or late 30s or even 50s. Um, and one question we get a lot is like, is it too late for me? Can I like, can I still try this thing that I've always wanted to do? And I, I find that especially moving and just in kind of learning about how you came to, to writing novels. Um, have, have you ever experienced that feeling yourself or have there ever been moments, um, of rejection or failure where you have felt knocked down and decided to keep going? Yes, I've had many of those points of rejection along the way. I think a writer's life is mostly rejection, similar mm-hmm. to actors. I've been chatting with my actors about that. A lot of auditions to get to the one yes. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I, I've done a couple of these interviews about second chances, and I don't really think of that as as, as my path. Um, again, for me, it it feels linear, <laughs> even yeah, though on the surface it doesn't look it that seems, way. No, but it, when you when you explain it, it is so clearly linear. It actually reminds me of kind of. I mean, it reminded me of kind of my own strange, like jobs that I've had, they are actually very connected and deeply um, built off the other. So I, I think it's very, I think it totally makes sense. Yeah, I, I've been, I have been writing my whole life. I started telling stories to my brother and sister when we were really small. And I've been journaling since I was nine. Um, I think what I didn't know was that I could write professionally. Um, yeah. But even then, you know, I think I've been writing throughout college, my, my, my papers for my government concentration, then law school, and then I took my job clerking, even though I was going to go into corporate law, I, I decided to take a clerkship, one, because it was a year of public service with an amazing human being. Um, but two, is was an opportunity to learn to grow as a writer. And I did. So when we wrote opinions of the court, um, either the judge or I would write the first draft of the opinion, and then the other would write version two, right on top of you and, and back and forth. And we sometimes we go up to version 25. I still use that process today with my own writing where I create new versions of my novel every time I do a major um, revision. But I learned to write from her. She, um, you know, she took my words and she turned them into something else. And, and I got to do that to her. And so you just kind of learn the editing processes um, is for everybody. So yeah, so I would say that, you know, I've been writing my whole life and it's now coming. I've now, I think, reached the stage where it's ready to come out in the world in a public way. Um, but all those skills have been built over many years. Can we just uh, take things back a little bit? Because I think we got <laughs> sidetracked initially because we usually open our conversations by asking our guests about um, a self-care practice that they have. And I'd love to know if there's anything that you are doing currently. And if, if there's something that you do differently when you're away from home versus when you're at home. So I love hot baths. Um, back Ugh. home, I have an outdoor hot tub, which I am 
and literally every single night. And I think it's just <laughs> that feeling of being <laughs> submersed in the water. I'm under the stars. It's where I relax and I can really settle. Uh, so fortunately, <laughs> while I was here in Taiwan, my hotel had an amazing bathtub, which I was in as often as I could be. And now I'm actually speaking to you from this Japanese style hotel in Montour around the island with my family, which is in a town that's known for hot springs. So Ooh. last night we were on the roof sitting in these hot springs and we have in our bathroom in the hotel, like a, a stoned hot springs tub built into the floor in this little outdoor space. So I'm so happy to be here. Okay, wait, I want to circle back to your nightly hot tub routine. You have two kids also. <laughs> so how, how, like, how did you establish that time for yourself? Or maybe you are amazing at setting boundaries and you and your partner like just have it handled. But is it hard for you to carve out that time? Because I feel like making a ritual like that requires such commitment. Um, and I I'm, admire that you have that. Yeah, so we moved into this particular house about six years ago. Um, so that's when I started. And my husband is when we found the house. And he's like, let me sell you on this house. This is why <laughs> this is the house for us. <laughs> he showed me the hot tub outside. I'm like, oh my gosh, I love you. Um, so I think my, and my kids are a bit older. So, you know, I think that made it easier. I don't know. I can't remember those years when they were younger. <laughs> it's all a yeah, blur. You and me both. You're right. It's incredibly hard when you have young children. But, you know, they, I try to incorporate my kids into like many things. So for a while, I was like having them sit with me out there, but I'm really the, the, the diehard dedicated one to the hot tub. Are you, do you look at your phone or read or do anything like that? Or do you, are you actually, do you give your brain just kind of free range to just think or, or how do you kind of, what do you bring with you? Yeah, that's a great question. So I used to, sometimes I'll have my phone out there with me if I'm like expecting phone calls or meetings um, to come through. Um, but, and I, I actually have a way of sitting there with my laptop too. So, oh my gosh. Sometimes when I'm sitting there, like ideas will kind of strike. And so I'll yeah. want to like reach over, jot them down before I lose them. Um, but mostly I'm just thinking and reflecting when I'm in the tub. <sighs> Writing in a hot tub sounds like the best way to write a book, <laughs> like way better than just sitting in this uncomfortable chair that I'm in right now. That sounds I am, amazing. I am, I am definitely guilty of writing some of the words of my novels in the hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. That is the. I think you're the first writer I've ever heard who has done that. Although I hope others reveal themselves. That's amazing. It to everyone. <laughs> How have you handled rejection as a writer? I mean, is it something that you feel comfortable taking in stride or has it been kind of a learning process? Yeah, it's definitely been a journey. Writing is so personal and you try yeah. not to take it personally. And I think I have evolved to the place where I am I'm more thick skinned about it. But, you know, for sure, those early years, I wrote my first novel and I had friends read it in two days and they loved it. And it was so fun. It just poured out of me and it totally got rejected by all the agents. And that was hard. I was like, oh, I guess this won't be as easy as I'd hoped. So this is first novel of five novels that didn't get published. Um, wow. And, you know, I would say I've had hundreds of rejections along the way. And every time you send out a query, you have so much hope for each of those that, well, this agent that you've been like, you know, Twitter stalking, that they say all these things that you love and you love them. And then they just send you back like a form of rejection. Like that's really painful. Uh, so I think I've just gone through so many that I've like, I've grown, but I've done, you know, done a lot of therapy along the way. I've also, I think what's really helped me is to, um, love the process mm. and I love writing. Like that is why I write. I write because I, it settles me because I can't not write. And like even now, like I'm, as I mentioned, I'm on tour with my family. Like I'm like yesterday or two days ago, I said, you know, I think I need to write and I'm feeling really antsy if, mm. and it's because I haven't in a while. So 
Um, I, you know, I remember hearing another author once say, like, if you feel compelled to write because someone is telling you you have to, like, I give you permission to give it up. And at the same time, like, if you want to write because you want to, then I also give you permission to do that. And I really appreciated that. I think that's really important. Um, maybe, I don't think you touched on this, but is your family with you in Taiwan? They are. Yes. I am you said, so you said you're traveling throughout the island. Can you talk yes. a little bit about that, what it's like having them there with you? It's so special to have them with me because it's actually my fifth trip myself to Taiwan. The first time mm. I was 12 with my own family I, that I grew up with, my brother and sister, my parents. Then I came for Love Boat, which became this, the inspiration for the book. Um, the third time was in 2018 when I was researching book one. Then October of 2020 for book two research. And then now I'm here for the film. So it's really special for me to have them. Would, this tour around the island, I've done three times. Once on Love Boat, once on my tour about all by myself, and then now with them. And it's a lot more communal, less time to myself, less, less thinking time, less writing time. But I get to share the things that I love with them. Yeah. So we just saw the Taroka Gorge together yesterday. We hiked it. It's one of the, the natural wonders out here. Um, and then we went to Fo Guanshan, which is an incredible Buddhist monastery with hundreds and hundreds of Buddhist statues like just laid out throughout these incredible grounds so again I was like you these are the two things you really need to see while you're while you're touring in the south of Taiwan so it's so fun to share my world with them oh that's so cool so we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back okay we're back can you talk about um, your own Love Boat experience and explain for listeners what that is for those who might not be familiar, which I I was not familiar, um, and how it became the inspiration for Love Boat Taipei? Yeah, so Love Boat is a program that's been around since the 1960s, started by the local government here. It was to encourage overseas Chinese t- youth to reconnect with their parents' heritage, and that's exactly what it does. So I received an invitation. I was a presidential scholar in high school, um, so the the Taiwanese government would go through the, the list of scholarships like Koch scholars and, and what's now the Google scholarship. And everyone with a Chinese last name received an invitation to this trip for free. Um, so I was like, sure, that sounds amazing. And I came with a bunch of other presidential scholars. I think there were six of us my summer and discovered it was actually this thing called Love Boat, nicknamed Love Boat by, by everyone. Um, because it was a place that kids would, were actually sent to find someone to marry. Um, but in, Actually, it was like there's no no parental supervision. The kids were seeking out clubbing. They were, um, you know, going out on the town. We did this tour around the island that I loved, um, and it just kind of became known as the summer free for all. And it was very well known in the Asian American community, but not really well known outside of it. And um, eventually, I decided to to write a fictionalized story of the experience. And how has it been? I mean, it's so it's so interesting hearing you talk about having written five novels and the experience of rejection, because now you're a New York Times bestselling author and you're on the set of um, your movie and you're a producer on the movie, which I think is so cool. Um, what has that been like to actually see these humans that you created come to life in this way? Yeah, it has been like nothing else. Um, I, I describe it and, and I think on my social media and a couple of the pieces about it's like Loki coming face to face with another Loki. <laughs> it's like, it's really like experiencing the multiverse because yeah. these characters, they're, you know, they came out of my imagination. They're inspired by 
by things that I know and yet someone else is holding the pen for the screenplay and mm. and making them do things and that I've never made them do but you know one thing I really loved about this process like the characters are really true to themselves um so with the filming process it's been the same like we do so many takes of each scene and there's so many scenes and and so I get to see like the characters iterating over and over again and of course to meet the cast um has been such an incredible joy like they're all so well casted and um i i like just i love them all i love them all so that's so wonderful (laughs) i mean that's kind of that's such a surreal thing i I can't imagine it as a writer myself and it's got to be so surreal and then to actually have this emotional connection with the people playing them sounds so special it is really incredibly special. Like I was able to have an in-depth conversation with each person about their character and you know, mm. just to trade notes. And um, I mean, how special is that? Oh, yeah. They, I mean, they know their characters almost as well as I do. And that, that was really incredible. That's really oh. cool because I feel like authors, there's such a wide range of experiences when authors see their work translated yeah. into movies or TV. Um so it's really nice to hear that you've had a positive experience. Um, I have a question, which is, I know we touched on makeup, but what about skincare? Are you someone who is Mm -hmm. into skincare? Um, What products do you use? What is your routine? Can we hear about it? My, yeah, my mom actually um, was really into skincare when I was growing up. So she got me introduced to Shiseido very early on. I use Shiseido products probably since I was like, a teenager, like early teens. Wow. Um, and I think that really did pay off. But I, as I got older, I, I'm not sure why, but I somehow moved away from it. I think I just um, met a lot of friends who used different products. And I don't think I met anyone who used Shado, So <laughs> Definitely not as I, a teen. I feel like as a yeah. teen. So, you know, and I, I would see all these advertisements. So I started using different things. Um, I have a pretty simple skincare routine that I got from my dermatologist. So I use um, Cetaphil. It's like a very simple, moisture, uh, simple um, cleanser. It's very easy on the skin. And then my friend Saba Tahir, who's also an author, um, recommended grapeseed oil as a cleanser. And mm. so I started doing that. It was really great because it was hydrating and it was a bit counterintuitive because it's oil, but it, it really works incredibly well. Here in Taiwan, Ashley Liao, who plays Ever Wong, recommended this oil cleanser. It's called Sekisui. I'll spell it because I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. S-E-K-K-I-S-U-I. And it's an oil and cleansing gel um, from Kose. And I, I've enjoyed it as well. It's kind of like similar to the grapeseed oil. Then I have, um, I try to use a, a toner of some kind. So currently I was using Fenty Skin, which is like this uh, fat water toner that I picked up from Sephora. Sephora is like my go-to now for most of my skincare products. And then Ashley also recommended this, uh, another product from the same brand called a Brightening Emulsion. So I'm kind of trying it out and seeing how it goes. Um, and then the other thing that's been added recently to my skincare routine the past couple of years also started by Saba and then Ashley again was, was encouraging it is to do a, a mask. So I was doing them like once or twice a week, um, just kind of a, a face mask that helps with moisturizing or kind of helping to, to retain that, um, hydration. And then Ashley recommended a number of products for me here too as well. So I've been trying out various Japanese brands. The one it's in my hand right now is called, is from Koto Yun, J-Y-U-N. And, and they've all been really, really wonderful in their own ways. Ooh, those is all sound a, great. Yeah. Is there anything else that you can get in Taiwan that you can't get in the U.S. that you would recommend people kind of hunt down? 
Yeah. So again, shout out to Ashley. She gave me a million products. I'm like, tell me everything that you this think is I why need. Everyone needs a Generation Z friend, right? Yes, everyone needs yes. a young 20 year old friend. And my actors are beautiful. So, you know, I'm like, there yes, tell me, tell me everything you know. So yeah. um, Ashley recommended this sunscreen Viore UV. Oh, um, yeah. It's my favorite. Yeah. Iconic. And then for um, makeup remover, she recommended L'Oreal Paris. Um, gentle lip and eye makeup remover for waterproof makeup. And we actually use the same product on set every day for for moving actors makeup. So it's great. Um, I've really loved it, especially for the eye makeup and the mascara. Um, and for, for a moisturizer, I use this Japanese brand, um, that I get on, I used to get it on Amazon, but it's it's no longer there. So I, I found it like on another site, but it's, um, Atusias, A-T-T-U-S-A-I-S premium amino cream. Um, and when I got it before, I feel like it had a slightly different name, but it's like, it says gel luminous baby smooth skin. It's this pink cream with these little pink balls in them. I don't know what's in it, but my friend recommended it to me and I used it for several years now and I love it. That sounds amazing. It does. I mean, I want to, it doesn't, it's, it's not a hard sell for me. You'd say there's little balls in your moisturizer and I'm like, this is so cool. I've never seen that in my life. I'll buy it. That yeah. sounds incredible. Yeah, I had fun with them. Oh yeah, the other thing that gave that um, so I was in quarantine for two weeks here, and my oh, yeah. um, I used an uh, what it was Chanel's um, eye cream, and I really loved it. Mm-hmm. I'd never used it. But it was a hydrochloric acid, and I, I felt like I had these bags under my eyes from I don't know what it was past year of COVID, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so I can do it. My production assistant picked that up for me, and I loved it. I appreciate that you give an eye cream a shout out because I feel like we've been having a debate going on four years now on this podcast of does eye cream do anything and do we need it? I don't know. Actually, I would love to hear your advice. (laughs) (laughs) It feels good for me, for sure. I think that that was kind of what we had recently actually talked about on a recent episode was like, even if it doesn't actually quote do anything, there is this additional just nice feeling of like a lighter, softer moisturizer going on the most delicate part of your face that just feels very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it definitely helped. I felt like I had these dark bags under my eyes when I arrived in Taiwan, and they're gone now. So I I kind of attribute that to the Chanel eye cream. Did you do quarantine with your whole family for two weeks? So I wasn't able to because they came later than me. They had to finish out school. Um, I see. I they see. were in so quarantine you... over the holidays. Oh, wow. That's intense. Yeah, I mean, it it's is a really surreal to... experience. Yeah. Was it, it? What was it like doing it on your own? Um, did you go stir crazy? So I actually love it. <laughs> and two of my, two of my kids, that's both my kids. They also loved it. I, there is something really special about being able to shut out the whole world. Mm. And like nobody can reach you. Nobody, you, you do not have to make any decisions about social engagements or parties or whether to go to this or that event at school. Like it's, it just simplifies your life for two mm. weeks. And I was able to get a lot of writing done because mm-hmm. there's nothing else to distract me. Um, but you know, it does get a little lonely towards the end if you're doing it by yourself. And so I think by the end, I was definitely ready to come out and, and see the cast and crew. I wanted to ask, um, for yourself as a reader, uh, is there a particular genre that you love? Do you read a lot of YA or romance? Um, and is there any book that has recently kind of captured you that you would uh, be willing to share or recommend? So I grew up reading a lot of fantasy and science fiction, mostly, mostly fantasy. I'd like a lot of Robin McKinley, um, Princess Bride, of course. I don't, I don't know. I guess that's not really, it's fantasy. Um, a lot of portal fantasies. I loved Harry Potter. 
mm-hmm. um, they loved Star Wars movies. Um, so I actually think I love about Taipei as a, for- a portal fantasy, even though it's not as a young adult contemporary novel, <laughs> but it really is a portal fantasy. It's yeah. about a girl who goes into another world with its own set of rules and mores and costumes and, and people, and she comes back transformed to her world. And that's exactly what a portal fantasy does. So my, I would say that the books I'd recommend now are my friend Saba, who had mentioned Saba Tahir's um, new novel is coming out. It's a young adult contemporary called All My Rage, and it's a really powerful, searing, gripping story. Um, comes out in March. And my critique partner is Stacey Lee's Luck of the Titanic, which just came out in May of last year, about eight Chinese who are on the Titanic and were written out of history. So she's kind of breathed wow. new life into them and given oh, them wow. a space in the world. That sounds really cool. Oh, that does sound really interesting. Wow. Okay. That's a great recommendation. <laughs> Thank you. I got to get reading. Do you read Do you read fantasy in your spare time still? I actually end up watching a lot of movies now, a lot of movies and TV shows because I've been moving into that space. So I, I joke that it's research for me, but I'm secretly addicted. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's allowed. Well, um, Abigail, this has been so great to get to talk to you, especially you are doing this at 630 in the morning, your time, we should yeah. say. So like, uh, this is probably the earliest anyone has ever joined us on the podcast. So you get a special award for that. Thank you very much. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. I really love what you are doing. And I'm excited to have a chance to to chat with you. So your book, your second book, the sequel to Love Boat Taipei just came out in the last 24 hours based on when we think this podcast is airing. Um, Where can listeners find you? I mean, obviously, your books are available everywhere and anywhere books are sold. um, But where can we get more of your life? So I have a newsletter. Um, I send out periodic updates and you can sign up on my website, abigailhingwen.com. I am also on social media pretty much everywhere. I'm most active on Instagram for the book world. So that's again, Abigail Hingwen everywhere. And, um, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm so thrilled that this book is out in the world. It's, um, it follows, as I mentioned, Sophie Ha, the girl in tech, trying to marry her interests in AI with her girly interests in fashion and Xavier Ye, who's another fan favorite as he's trying to get up from under his controlling father's thumb. He's been forced to repeat senior year until he graduates. Um, but really his mm-hmm. plan is to get his trust fund that his mother left him and get the hell out of here. So I'm excited for folks to connect with their stories and looking forward to hearing what my readers think. Well, congratulations too. That's yeah, so congrats. exciting. Thank you. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older, and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad, they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay. Which is okay. I visible know. on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed 
They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. I just want to say that I kind of wish we had asked her to show us the bathtub in her hotel. I know. I know. Because it sounded amazing. I am obsessed with the idea of jacuzziing daily. Yes, totally. Like, it's so great on so many levels. Like, yes, one, yes, it sounds yes. warm. Your skin's getting snuggly. Two, you don't have to deal with anybody. It's like delicious alone yep. time. Yeah. Yeah. Three, I love that sometimes she brings her laptop and works from the jacuzzi. It, yeah. There's just so much that is amazing about it. Yeah. I, I, now I don't have a jacuzzi, although, you know, Caroline Moss does have like a blow up jacuzzi. She does. That's And loves right. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe this is not a complete pipe dream for you or I. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine if like, like our husbands just like walk home one night and we're just blowing up our jacuzzis in the backyard without announcing what's going on? And we uh, stake them out as yes. just our spaces. I mean, because like my kids would have goldfish crackers in the jacuzzi in like two seconds. It would be disgusting. (laughs) Needs to be just mom's spot. Uh, Yeah. (sighs) Well, Dory, uh, last week your intention was to read a paper book in bed. And I'm actually dying to know if you did this. I did not do this. (sighs) You know, I I can understand why. It's very hard to read a paper book in bed. Yeah. So, you know. Well, you had also a bonkers week. Like, did you even pick up a book? I did. I mean, I, I, I'm still reading Persuasion. Okay. That's right. Um, Perfect. But otherwise, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's where we are. Um, what is then, on your plan for this week? Yeah. So this week, you know, my foot is still not like completely Sorry. healed. Did you fracture your foot? I don't think I fractured it. I think okay. I would, <laughs> I think I would be in a lot more constant pain if I had actually broken my foot, but it's been almost two weeks and it is not fully back to normal. So I'm like, do I need to go to the doctor? Um, so I, I, I think. I decided if it's not better by Monday, I'm going to call the doctor. 
good. I think it's worth getting like a referral to an orthopedic so-and-so. Well, I think I'm going to start with my podiatrist. Okay. If you need a podiatrist recommendation, I have a great one, but it sounds like you've got a podiatrist. I have one. Okay. I go to our mutual friend's friend's podiatrist. She recommended it to me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Danielle, uh, yeah. who just broke her foot, so yeah, yes, that's a good good recommendation. Um, Kate, what about you? Mm. Okay, well, last week I said I was going to find one really good family friendly vegetarian dinner to cook this week. I didn't. Okay, I didn't. That's, I don't even fine. honestly. I couldn't even tell you what we ate. I'm just. It was just fried. one of those weeks. I'm just. I'm sick of of the act of cooking. I'm, I'm, Mm -hmm. if I only had to cook for myself, my life would be amazing. I hear that. You know, I don't. And that's just my reality. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I will say my nutritionist who I met with, um, gave me like a really amazing, massive index of recipes that. Ooh, that's fun. Yes. And they're specifically like sheet pan, pressure cooker, one pot, like easy stuff to make. We love that. Um, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to revisit this, but also knowing that like, you know, I can really focus on incorporating some lean meats in there. I will do that because we do tend to be a meat eating family. That being said, uh, air fryer tofu is a hit. So I'll just keep doing Ooh. that. Ah, oh, sorry. air fryer tofu is the best. Air fryer tofu. Yeah. I, have I, I gone off about the air fryer no, yet I, on this I podcast? F- I feel like we need to have like a, a whole separate conversation about that. Okay. Yeah. We'll do, we'll discuss air fryers at a future date because that thing has changed my life okay. in a way that the Instapot s- was supposed to do and didn't. The air fryer did. Do you know huh. what I mean? Yeah. Like everyone was like this instant pot, instant pot. It's just like a big bucket that sits in my kitchen. But this air fryer is a big robot that sits in my kitchen, but I use it. Okay. Hmm. This week, Dory. Okay. One thing I did this week that really has made me happy is I bought some flowers at Costco and I made two bouquets, one for my little family room area and one for my office and so I am going, they're on their way out. So I'm going to get more fresh flowers. It just, I can make it smell. It makes my office smell nice. I like looking at them. So it kind of just really cheered me up this week to have fresh flowers around. I hadn't had them in mm, so long. I love that. So yeah. So it's a fresh flower intention this week. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of this podcast. Indeed. But not the end of our friendship. <laughs> no, not the end of our friendship, Kate. <laughs> I just like to look for a segue, but that one didn't really hit. That didn't really land. What if, what if, like, at the end of one show, you were like, and this brings us to the end of our podcast and the end of our friendship? <laughs> Goodbye. And I was like, what? It's been great doing with this, you, this with you, Dory, but I'm done. <laughs> I would never, I would oh, never. Well, look, shall you say it? Yes, we shall. Forever 35 is hosted and produced by me, Dori Shafrir, and you, Kate Spencer, produced and edited by Sam Hunio. Sammy Reed is our project manager, our network partner is ACAST. We'll talk to you all again very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>